Okay, it's my great pleasure to have on the line with me Felicity Ruby. She is Research and Policy Advisor for ThoughtWorks and recently started her PhD uh, in this area uh, that we were discussing with her around encryption and internet freedom. And thanks for joining us, Felicity. My pleasure. Okay, so two years after the Snowden revelations, uh, what have been called the post-Snowden what has been called the post-Snowden era, we have the US Freedom Act that has been recently signed just last week. The Australian Parliament uh, is considering mandatory detention legislation, and last year, of course, they passed legislation that includes jail terms of up to 10 years for journalists reporting on special operations. Other concerning developments across the five eyes, and we have, I guess, on the other hand, a award-winning documentary, Citizen Four. We have uh, Netmundial, a international collaborative effort uh, from where we spoke to you about a year ago. Uh, we have organisations like ThoughtWorks, Electronic Frontiers that are making valiant efforts to inform a citizenry that is actually, I guess, having some impact on increasing encryption rates around the world. And we have organisations like WikiLeaks that are still powering around way and using uh, these tools. Um, Felicity, are we winning? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think we can see on both sides of the struggle um, positives and negatives. This week, um, Edward Snowden uh, issued an op-ed in the New York Times and he was quite upbeat and, you know, especially about an empowered citizenry. People who are aware and awake uh, can't unknow what we now know. And I think he's right. Uh, there has been um, some outrage and there has been a building resistance to um, what he's revealed, but actually only baby steps, really baby steps um, of actual change. Yes, the USA Freedom or USA Freedom, as we called it a while ago in a <laughs> previous iteration, was passed last week. That protects US citizens only. Yep and only some of their rights. It also it reinstitutes powers, it normalises and legitimises things that are, are quite outrageous as well. Um, the UK has passed legislation that is essentially legalising what Snowden revealed. Australia has passed the data retention laws um, and, and the other ones that you mentioned. So, um, you know, and Canada has got some really seriously ugly legislation on the books right now, and New Zealand has passed some as well. So the five eyes, this, this long-standing Anglo spying machine, um, hasn't actually budged much. And, you know, no one's lost their jobs. No one's been, <laughs> um, you know, no one's, no one's in trouble for um, the crimes that Snowden exposed. However... The people that exposed these crimes are in trouble. The um, folks like Edward Snowden, you know, isn't free, you know, to move as he would wish, while he is free to continue working and speaking and educating, and he's doing that athletically. Um, Julian Assange is a lot less free and continues quite prolifically to publish and advocate. But folks like Chelsea Manning and and Barrett Brown and you know Jeremy Hammond are inside and you know under really unpleasant circumstances. So um, it's, it's uh, a matter of needing to continue to build and expose and shine light and demand change. Um, it, we've seen also some positive things happen at the UN level. Um, you know, governments like Brazil and Germany, 
you know, screamed when all of this came out. Sometimes not for exactly the right reasons, but um, yeah. still did. Mm. And um, sort of tried to set the bar that this is absolutely unacceptable. This is absolutely unacceptable stuff. The, the Human Rights Commissioner at the time, Navi Pillay, who was so pissed off about the biometric data that WikiLeaks revealed the US was collecting on senior UN personnel, um, she issued as one of her parting gifts um, in the role a very damning report that called on businesses to stop cooperating with governments in this surveillance overreach frenzy. Um, now the, um, the UN has appointed a privacy rapporteur and the, the person responsible for the freedom of expression component of the Human Rights Council last week issued a report saying not only should governments stop and, and corporations stop trying to weaken encryption, actually encryption is a human right in the digital age and everything should be done to expand knowledge of it and the teaching and utilisation of it. So, so um, resistance is building and um, stubbornness remains. I mean, any time you ask a question of either major party in Australia's um, parliament, anything about these issues, they just clamp down, they won't speak. They just say it's government policy that we don't comment on intelligence matters. I mean, even when it's about our, our rights, our fundamental rights, they refuse to speak about it. When the Snowden affair hit two years ago, the Attorney General at the time, Dreyfus, wouldn't even issue a ministerial statement to explain anything. Yep. You know, in fact, the ALP voted against even issuing a statement. So we've got this kind of virtual conspiracy of silence here that hasn't, has, hasn't helped the debate here as much as it's happened in other parts of the world. There's been a, a greater advance. So things are catching up here a little bit. Last week, uh, Glenn Greenwald promised more stories about Australia from the Snowden cash, and I very much look forward to those. Yeah, so do I. And uh, just on that, I mean, uh, I'd like to know if you have any heads up on that, but basically, uh, you know, in that interview uh, with Tony Jones on Late Line, he was, uh, he was asked about, uh, about decryption and... He responded, or encryption, sorry, he responded by saying that, uh, you know, government's trying to stop uh, encryption is engaged in, in a losing battle. Mm. Um, I'd like to know, you know, there's figures of uh, something like 700 million people uh, estimated worldwide that have changed their habits. Mm -hmm. You know, what's, uh, do, you, do we have any figures on Australia in particular? And I guess where are we at, uh, uh, you know, on that particular front in here in Australia and and we obviously have the crypto parties that are they're happening in different parts of the world helping to to educate people on that. Can you comment on that, please? Yeah, look, um, you know, Glenn is, is, is a really good person to listen to about encryption because he almost missed out on the scoop of the century because he couldn't encrypt and he couldn't decrypt. Even when Snowden, and you can see it online, made a little video explaining to him how to do it, he just didn't. And he now has become a great advocate for why you should. So his book, No Place to Hide, tells that story in great detail. Yeah. Um, encryption trends around the world have increased quite a lot since the Snowden revelations, but also since sort of data breaches and, and kind of crazy theft of data has happened. Um, so last year, the Internet Phenomena Report um, showed that like, encrypted traffic just in Europe alone had gone from 1.4 to 6.10%, and in Latin America, from 1.8 to 10.37. So there's this definite uh, trend to, um, inc you know, of increased encrypted traffic on the wires. 
Um, and, a, and there was a big survey of, of 5,000 businesses. And, you know, as I'm now working in the business, I'm, I'm sort of interacting with a lot more folks who are saying we are, you know, needing to encrypt more and we are encrypting more because that's the best way to protect client data, customer data. It's the only way the financial kind of transactions work is if people have trust and they know that they can, that, that they've got a secure connection. So um, there is this, this, this increased trend of learning um, encryption. We're under enormous pressure to, um, to teach people and uh, that's a very positive sign. It's hard to keep up. but um, we, you know, we, been... we have advocates like uh, Malcolm Turnbull who uh, <laughs> uh, perhaps just covering his own butt. Maybe he's the one who uh, leaked uh, that information last week. But anyway, he's, he's a big advocate and I guess we, that's one thing we can give him a point for. Look, he is a big advocate, but like speaking about leaking, you know, like the criminalisation of leaks of certain kinds and the complete carte blanche acceptance of other types of leaks, you know, like the Abbott, Abbott leaked to the Daily Telly and they'd published something that hadn't happened yet in Cabinet. But, you know, the, the, the criminalisation and the chasing and the absolute punishment of folks who are doing leaking in the public interest who are exposing really serious violations of rights and offering an opportunity for reform, they're punished. So that's, that's a really important kind of trend to notice. But also the kind of reversal of the burden of, you know, who deserves to have privacy. You know, individuals don't have it much anymore, but governments and, you know, who, who refuse to make even statements or comments, um, you know, insist that they must have it almost absolutely. So we've seen these kind of negative trends, but this, this kind of interest in encryption, um, curiosity about it and willingness to kind of, it's a little bit cumbersome, some of the tools, even though Malcolm Turnbull says to journalists you should learn and he talks about some of the tools that he's using, um, they're, they're a little bit clunky, they're a little bit difficult to use and so you need to actually, that's what crypto parties have been such a lovely invention for and they came from Australia but they've taken off around the world. Because people just, get a just, chance to sit with their own machines, yep. ask questions and get familiar with, with the process. But having just a couple of tools isn't what's going to save us. You know, you really have to change a lot of your security hygiene and habits. Yep. So, you know, the crypto parties are also helping us with some really basic things, the equivalent of kind of washing our hands, you know, the digital washing of hands and kind of routinely not doing things and doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. Um, to, to make sure that you're not leaving a huge trail of data um, from your phone or from your social media or from your computer. So it's, uh, it's, it, it's not hard to learn, but it takes a bit of time and it's a little bit clunky. So the crypto parties are, are a great place to learn slowly and um, with one-on-one -on -one support. Talk to us a bit about the, I guess, the interest, uh, which I understand has been overwhelming from, uh, from lawyers and, and journalists, uh, you know, I understand ThoughtWorks has been running some of these uh, kind of, uh, you, know, you know, workshops, basically. Yep. Um, I mean, it seems to me that that would be 101 in this day and age for, for journalists to get this kind of training. But uh, what's, what's your comments on that? Yeah, well, it really is. It is, it is basic. You know, um, there was some very uh, Band-Aid pathetic measures put into the data retention legislation because, you know, some journalists woke up that, that this was a problem, that they wouldn't actually be able to do their jobs anymore because anyone who leaked information to them could be tracked down really easily. So um, the government sort of inserted language into the bill that basically said, oh, we, no, we won't, the equivalent of it. Um, 
so it, there has been a great deal of interest from um, from journalists. We, we we helped make a crypto party happen in the Parliament House press gallery the other day. Um, so there was folks there asking, you know, complex and simple questions, and they seem to really be getting it. Yeah. But um, you know, and and the amount of activists and and people who are who are interested, you know, they're on the receiving. They're, they're, they're going to be the people who can be sources and supporters for journalists doing their jobs properly. But yeah, so I think more journalists are taking this seriously, and you know, big media outlets around the world like the Guardian and and the New York Times and others are using. Um, Services like Secure Drop, which is an encrypted Dropbox. It was actually created by someone who worked for ThoughtWorks, Aaron Schwartz, nice just before he died. Um, so there's ways in which it's becoming more routine, more obvious, you know, and, and, and at the same time, um, there's a retreat from the, the digital and the computer in some ways and a return to craft that was, you know, analogue, off the grid, off the, off the um, wires, um, people actually talking to each other without phones, uh, and you know, leaving leaving their phones at home and, and getting offline and talking to to actual human beings. The last year, the Human Rights Watch brought out a report about what the impact has been of the Snowden revelations on um, being a lawyer and being a journalist. And with both of them, um, journalists and lawyers, there's been a chilling effect of taking on cases and taking on stories because of the potential heat that they attract. Um, but also they've they've mapped that you know we're learning and relearning to to get out from behind our desks, and that can only be a good thing as well for activists too. Absolutely, maybe just uh, to finish, let's talk about the kids. So it's a big. Uh uh, well, I understand in Ecuador there was uh, some crazy amount of people who turned out to a, a crypto rave. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, this is a bit of fun as much as it is, uh, uh, you know, learning in some serious tools, but it's also, uh, I'm sure, a part of the education process about the issues rather than, again, the actual tools themselves and, and, and a bit of fun and awareness raising, yep. Look, what was great about the first crypto rave in Brazil in April 2014 when I was there um, was that it was a 24-hour event. It was at this huge cultural centre, so they had an enormous amount of space, and it had three kind of components to it, and part of it was actually having fun and dancing. Like, the party part was taken seriously for once. Usually it's not very party. <laughs> no. um, and Scott Ludlam in WA has created a few party-feeling-type ones. So there was the party and the music and the dancing, and then there was the crypto training tool sessions, and then there was also kind of university-level type um, political and policy information and analysis from academics. So it was this amazing coming together of activist groups as well as academics as well as, as businesses who, who want to see this thing advanced. And that, that first one, there was 2,000 people came, um, and then they've done a second one just recently. And then we also helped to, uh, inspired by that experience, we sparked one in Ecuador, mm. um, sort of on the back of what's called a campus party. There was like, you know, a couple of thousand kids camping at a university. Um, and, you know, it was sort of a, a careers or a, you know, a, event. And we said, well, can we have it one night, that whole facility, and run a crypto party? And people were very thrilled. And so people were up till four in the morning learning um, how to get a PGP key and how to use Tor and how to use um, you know, some of these tools. There was a lot of journalists there as well. So, yeah, I think that we could learn from our um, Latin American friends yeah. to incorporate some fun into these things. But... It's also pretty serious business, so, um, you know, we, we need a bit of both. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. 
My pleasure to be on Indie Media. I love your show.